Hello and a warm welcome to your Bible study program with Brian Johnston, your Bible teacher. This is Search for Truth. Thanks for being with us for the first program in our new seven-week series called Basic Bible Truths. Today, Brian takes a more detailed look at what salvation, or being saved, actually means. We'll be looking into the scriptures as usual, and you might find it useful and helpful to have the booklet which accompanies this series. I'll tell you how to send for it later after Brian's talk. But now, to Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, the Christian is someone who's been rescued and who, as a result of the spiritual deliverance which he or she has known, will always remain saved. As we wish to go on to explain, this salvation, of which the Bible speaks, is a threefold or triple deliverance, best described as having past, present and future aspects, which we'll be labelling as salvation from the penalty of sin, salvation from the power of sin and salvation from the presence of sin. So that we might better understand these expressions, let's deal with them in turn. First of all then, let's tackle salvation from the penalty of sin. I am saved and I know it, cried a young man in the joy that flooded his heart after he'd accepted Christ as his saviour. The assurance he knew then answered to the words of 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes in 1 John 5 and 13. It's for all who share in this common salvation, which is by grace through faith, that we're discussing this. On the cross, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. In total solitude, even forsaken by his God, he suffered in our place to save us from the judgment which the Bible plainly tells us that our sins deserve. He did this for us as our willing substitute so that he might bring us safely home to God, as the New Living Translation says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. Paul puts it so succinctly in 1 Corinthians 15 and 3 when he says Christ died for our sins. He's done everything for our salvation, and now God only asks of us that we repent and believe in him in order for us to be saved. Let's be quite clear, it's not a reward for services rendered. Far from it, this is God's gift of grace to all who believe. It's not something which is of ourselves. Jonah 2 and 9 says salvation is of the Lord. Nor is it something that we ourselves have earned by our own good works. Ephesians 2 and verse 9 makes that plain. As a result, we've absolutely nothing to boast about. I read once about an instant cake mix that was a big flop. The instructions said all you had to do was add water and bake. The company couldn't understand why it didn't sell, until their research discovered that the buying public felt uneasy about a mix that required only water. Apparently people thought it was too easy. They made additional contributions and so failed to make successful cakes. Likewise, all the honour and glory for our salvation from the penalty which our sins truly deserve before a holy God is his, is God's glory and honour, and it's his alone. There is nothing we have to, nor can, add to Christ's finished work. God's recipe for us to be saved from the penalty of our sins is faith alone. I'm reminded of a note I received from a young man in another country. He was describing a man he'd been witnessing to. He referred to him as an SSBG. 
He intended each letter to stand for a word which begins with that letter. I wonder then what an SSBG refers to. There's a clue in the great Bible verse we've already referred to, Ephesians 2 and verse 8, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Yes, he was telling me about a sinner saved by grace. I can tell you straight away that I'm one of those too, and I hope you are also. Because, you know, we're all sinners, as Romans 3 and verse 23 says. So there are only two kinds of people in the world, saved sinners and sinners who don't yet have a saviour. But before I forget, let me tell you more about the man my young friend was describing to me in this way. To avenge the death of his son by communist rebels in 1987, this man, who lived in the Philippines, committed multiple rape and murder, which resulted in him receiving a 20-year prison sentence. But in prison he repented of the evils he'd done and received Christ and began to study his Bible. In due course he was released from prison having served his sentence. My young friend now takes up the report. He says when we arrived at his home testifying of God's grace, he also was not ashamed to testify to his neighbours. Serenus truly was a sinner saved by grace. Perhaps you regard him as having done such terrible crimes that he doesn't deserve to know personal forgiveness from God. Maybe right now you're comparing your own life with his, and it could very easily be that it's much more respectable than his was. But salvation is not something which any one of us deserves, neither Serenus nor you or I. Let's repeat our Bible text. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And that same verse goes on to say that salvation is not of works so that no one can boast. The word grace means God's undeserved favour, which he shows to us in granting any one of us salvation. In other words, the forgiveness of our sins. During the Spanish-American War, Theodore Roosevelt came to Clara Barton of the Red Cross to buy some supplies for his sick and wounded men. His request was refused. Roosevelt was troubled and asked, How can I get these things? I must have proper food for my sick men. Just ask for them, Colonel, said Barton. Oh, said Roosevelt, then I do ask for them. He got them at once through grace, not through purchase. Have you turned to God? and turned away from your sins, and humbly asked God, only asked him, and asked him without offering payment in kind, but simply asked him to save you and grant you pardon for the sinner you are and the sins which you've done. Now, let's turn our attention to the second dimension of salvation, which is salvation from the power of sin. The person who's done what we've just described is already a new creation, reborn with a nature that's from God. However, that old nature is still present, so that once we are saved, we begin to feel the battle between the flesh and the spirit. The Apostle Paul shared his experience like this from Romans chapter 7. I am not practising what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate, he said. But, and for this we give thanks to God, the Bible provides solution to this problem, which I'm sure we can all identify with if we're honest. God doesn't save us and then leave us to our fate, 
Not at all. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts so that we might be given power over sin and power to live a holy and victorious life for Jesus. We have the indwelling Spirit of God by whom to strive to overcome indwelling sin. We are urged to consider ourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You'll find those words in Romans 6 and verse 11. And it's in Romans chapter 8 that we're told how the Holy Spirit works in us to give us victory so that we may know a triumphant life. I want to give you four suggestions to help you to live for Christ. First of all, we must hate sin. Consider sin as it is in reality, disobedience to God. When we do wrong, let's immediately confess it to God and claim the promise of cleansing in 1 John 1 and 9. Secondly, let's take time each day for quiet reflection on God's word, asking the Lord to speak to us through what we've read. Thirdly, we should try to maintain an unhurried time of prayer every day, preferably in the morning. This is how, by God's help, which we ask for, we renew our strength. No one can be strong without this. And fourthly, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. If we live by the Spirit, Let's also walk by the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5 and 25. Since the Spirit is the source of our life, we should also let him determine its course by our obedience to God's word. If we give serious attention to these things, we can expect salvation from the power of sin, for it is God who works in us for his glory. And now finally, we come to consider salvation from the presence of sin. What a joyful day it will be when we are called to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. From then on, sin will trouble us no more. Our sinful nature will then be a thing of the past, and our new bodies will be changed to be like Jesus' own glorified body. This will happen when the Lord Jesus comes back, and the dead in Christ shall rise again, and those who are still alive and who believe in him will be changed and snatched up with them from the earth. Together we will meet the Lord in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 13 tells us that. Every day brings this glorious expectation nearer. As Romans 13 verse 11 says, For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. God intends that we should live in daily expectation of the Lord's return. This hope will keep our minds on the things which are above, where Christ is seated at God's right hand. When this day comes, our salvation will be complete in all three of its aspects which we've been studying, and we'll then obtain the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls, as 1 Peter 1 and 9 says. It should hopefully now go without saying that this final aspect of salvation is as certain as the first aspect is secure. The present dimension of our salvation, which is the second as we've listed them, namely that of experiencing deliverance from the power of sin in our lives day by day, is the only aspect of our salvation which actually does depend on us cooperating with the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This must be kept firmly in its biblical perspective to prevent us from being troubled by any misrepresentation of the danger of falling away. That is a biblical warning, but it has nothing to do with our past deliverance from sin's penalty. It's only in the sense of overcoming sin's power from day to day that any of our works can contribute in any way. 
they most emphatically don't count for anything in the matter of our escape from the judgment to come, the judgment that will come upon sinners who don't have a saviour. And our salvation from that judgment was settled once and for all in the past when we believed in Christ. Otherwise, this would plainly contradict the very clear and repeated assurance of Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, and such a contradiction cannot exist, for God's word cannot be broken. Redeem how I love to proclaim it, redeem by the blood of the Lamb, redeem through his infinite mercy, his child forever I I hope you enjoyed Brian's talk today and the hymns sung by our singers from Northern Ireland. Now, as I said earlier, if you'd like to receive one of the books for this series, please tell us, making sure to let us have your postal address, and ask for the title Basic Bible Truths. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooden Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now look out uh, for Search for Truth featuring on uh, www.twr360.org. And this uh, will give you another excellent way of accessing again what you first heard here on air. That's all we have for today, but I hope you'll be able to join us again next week, God willing. So until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. Goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Thank you.